Amen. Amen. It feels good in the house of the Lord tonight. Praise the Lord. Keep our family, uh, church family, in prayer. Some are not feeling well, not able to be here tonight. Some are working. But it's good to see everyone that is here in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. And I want to share what I feel on my heart. I feel like it's been on my heart for a week or two now. And I have shared some of this with two or three our church family in the last week or two. <coughs> I don't know some of you may know when I give a text where we're going. But I feel like imparting some pastoral expectation that is really based in godly expectation. So uh, I'm, I'm preaching, teaching uh, tonight to the church, to the Apostolic Rock Church. Amen. I know many of the children are going to the back, and some of the adults, and I pray that they have a good time. And I might mention them in just a little while. I love our children. And I want the next generation, if God tarries, to carry on truth. To be Holy Ghost filled, apostolic faith, apostolic doctrine, Pentecostal in real experience. On the first day of school today, I was visiting every classroom and one of the teachers mentioned, I didn't bring it up, so don't blame me, but she mentioned while I was in there to her students, but I also pastor, and they began to ask questions, and so if they, they ask the question, I feel like they also have the right to an answer. And then I began to explain apostolic and Pentecostal, what it means, and one young lady said, is that Christian? I said, it's the only Christian. I said, because it is the original and one and only. I said, we, we trace our roots to the very first day of Christendom, if you want to call it that. The day of Pentecost. Amen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want our children to grow up admonished and taught and nourished the truth the Lord said buy the truth and sell it not amen so we're going to go to the book of first chronicles chapter 13 <clears throat> book of first chronicles chapter 13 David has become king and he desires to bring the ark, the presence of the Lord, to Jerusalem. It will become known as the city of David. It could also be called at the sacrifice of Isaac, because it was there Abraham offered Isaac. 
same place. The threshing floor of Arnon, which was the flat, firm foundation that the temple would eventually be built. David would get the materials and Solomon would build the temple there. Same place. David wants to bring the presence of the Lord back. He has, he has established a tent, place for the Spirit of God, the Ark of the Covenant, to come and dwell. The Bible says in verse number 6, David went up in all of Israel to Belah, and that is to Kajath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah. Everybody say, belonged to Judah. This is where David's from. It's the same area. Bethlehem, Kerjath-Jerim, and Jerusalem, very close proximity. This, this, this journey from Kerjath-Jerim to Jerusalem is about 10 miles, so it's not really that far. And David wants to bring thence, up thence the ark of God, the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio drove, or drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might. And with singing. And with harps. And with psalteries. And with timbrels. And with cymbals. And with trumpets. They're having church. And everything was going just fine until they came into the threshing floor of Chidon, which threshing floor is also a place of sifting. It's a place of judgment. And Uzzah, the son, the middle son of Abinadab, put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark. And there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. He broke him. He was slain. And wherefore that place is called Perazuza. To this day. I want to share this thought from my spirit tonight. The wisdom of reverence. The wisdom of reverence. We may not shout. We may not dance. We might. But I pray that. Our spirit would get a hold of reverence for the things of God and for God of the things. Would you help me pray that God would minister to us in this house? God, I need you to speak to me and through me. Lord, your people here tonight, we need you to open our ears. Give us ears to hear what thus saith the word of God. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, I pray that you would birth a reverence, a spiritual reverence in this house. God, that we would reverence you, that we would reverence the body of Christ, that we would reverence the things of the Lord. 
And I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. The wisdom of reverence. Well, what does it mean, you might ask, to fear or reverence the Lord? Well, we reverence God when we keep and obey His commandments. We reverence God by honoring Him through obedience to His Word. Praise God. Job 28, 28 says, And unto man, he said, Behold the fear, or morally reverence, of the Lord. The Hebrew word here, fear, is translated many, many, many times in the Old Testament. The word is yaira. It means to revere, to be reverent, to morally reverence the Lord and the things of God. Job said, Behold the fear or reverence in this case of the Lord, that is wisdom. To reverence God is to be wise. Wisdom comes in reverencing the Lord. Wisdom comes in being obedient unto the commandments of the Lord. Praise God. And it says, And to depart from evil is understanding. So reverence comes when we obey the gospel, when we obey the word of God, and we depart from evil. So reverencing God is not just obeying His word, but putting a clear separation between us and the world. If you want to fear the Lord, reverence the Lord, then you, you have to reverence Him by following and obeying the Word of God and departing evil. Is that alright? We're going to come back to that in a little while. Maybe I might come more as an edu- educator tonight, but I mean, I want, we're going someplace, so I'm just like, this is the foundation, so just stay with me. Proverbs 16 and 8. 16 and 6 through 8. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear, same word, Yaira, reverence of the Lord, men depart from evil. How do I depart from evil? I begin to reverence and obey the word of God. See, I, wanna, I don't want to, be, to do this anymore. Then why don't you start reverencing and being obedient to the word of God? Praise the Lord. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better, this is so cool, verse 8, better is a little, talking about possessions, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. It's better to be right with God and poor than to be wrong with God and rich. It's better to be right in business It's better to obey the Lord in our finances. Pastor, if I, if I went a little here and fudged a little there, I may, might make a little bit more money. It's better to be poor and right with God than rich and not right with God. <laughs> Psalms 111 and 10. That, I'm just throwing that in there. That's not really where I'm going, but there you go. It didn't cost you nothing. That's free. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. You get in the picture, the connection here. To reverence God, you have to keep His commandments. To reverence the Lord, I have to be obedient and subjected to Him and His Word in my life. His praise endureth forever, the verse says. You see, to disobey the Lord is to disrespect the Lord. The words of Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. To respect and reverence the Lord is to keep His commandments. To walk in obedience to His word. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 3 and 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes, but reverence or fear the Lord and depart from evil. There it is again. I have to depart from evil to reverence the Lord. Well, I'm going to honor God, but I'm going to live my own. You are bringing dishonor to the Lord when you disobey His Scripture. Oh, my goodness. Psalms 147 and 11, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear, St. Yaira, that reverence Him, that morally reverence Him, in those that hope in His mercy. The world says, well, it's okay if you do that, but God's Word says it's not okay. And I would rather be obedient to the Lord than... Obedient to the things of this world. Hallelujah. Proverbs 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied. And the years of thy life shall be increased. Deuteronomy 4 and 40. Here we find the same principle. Thou shalt keep therefore his statutes. Being obedient to the word of God. And his commandments which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. 1 Kings 3.14 And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Wow. Reverencing God lengthens your days. Reverencing the Lord will lengthen your days in eternity. You reverence Him here, you get to live forever there. Talk about lengthening of days. Eternity's a long time. Ephesians chapter 6 was mentioned a couple times. It's called the, the commandment of promise, but... The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We need our children to reverence. We need to be examples to our children on how to reverence the house of God, the things of God, the men of God, and most importantly, God Himself. Praise the Lord. Amen. We need to reverence the house of the Lord. Leviticus 19 and 30, You shall keep my 
Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Leviticus 26 and 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Did you notice that? It was word for word the same. I think he's trying to make a point. Psalms 89 and 7, God is greatly to be feared, reverenced, same word, in the assembly of the saints. And to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. If we're going to reverence God, this is the good place to do it right here. Amen. How do we do that in the house of God? Well, we don't act like crazy people. I'm not talking about exuberant praise and worship. We run, we shout, we dance about. That's perfectly fine. That is reverencing God. Matter of fact, if you don't praise, you are not being reverent to the the Lord. We're mandated to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and, to, sh- and to, to make a joyful noise and to shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. By not doing so, I think we're being irreverent to him. This is his house. We reverence him through our praise. We reverence him through our worship, through our behavior, through our, through our actions. And so there are some things that... Uh, many people say our tradition, the Bible talks about in the New Testament, men ought not pray with their head covered. We know women have long hair, that is their covering. But it, it, we, we also understand there's tradition there, but there's a, there's a precedent there. Men ought to take their hats off when they come into the house of God. I want to thank you parents. Some of you have kids that come in and you ask them politely, would you please take your hat off while you're in the house of the Lord? Why do we do that? We are reverencing Amen. Some of you, your kid starts taking off and you're. My mom can clear her throat in the back of the sanctuary. And even to this day, I still stand up a little straighter. Why? Because there were more than one time I got taken out. Hello, somebody. Parents, you have my absolute permission Anytime in the service you feel like your child is getting out of hand and you're going to teach them some reverence and you take them on out to the back or take them right outside the doors and you have a little talk with Jesus, <laughs> you tell them about their troubles, <laughs> you tell them about the trouble they're causing, and you begin to discipline them, you're teaching them to reverence the house of God. You're teaching them to reverence the man of God. You're teaching them to reverence you as mom and dad because they need to be obedient to your instruction. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to bring it home to moms and dads and adults here tonight. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. I don't want to be destroyed. I want to reverence God. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are, and let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise, reverent, in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. It's talking about people that they don't want to defile the temple. They don't care what God thinks they're going to do whatever they want to do. Well, they are not very wise. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, 
which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul said in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Praise the Lord. Can I tell you tonight that reverence goes hand in hand with presence of the Lord. I don't have time to get into all, to, all the history tonight, but I sure would like to. I am going to dabble in a little bit, if that's okay. We can learn a lot from historical, biblical examples. You see, I, I read in the Bible how the Ark of the Covenant was used in battle. And most of the time, when the Ark of the Covenant was taken into battle, the presence of God would bring the victory. But there, there was a prophet by the, name, by, the, by the name of Eli. And let me just tell you the story. He, his eyes grew dim, and he lost control over his household. And he had a couple of boys named Hophni and Phinehas. And they began to do horrible, sinful, ungodly, irreverent things in the very house of God. I won't even go into what they did. It was bad. Disrespectful. Irreverent. Ungodly. In the very house of God. And because there was a lack of reverence, they lost the presence of God. Because they go to battle and it's not going good. And they say, oh, let's go get the ark. We might win. And let's use, let's use, the, let's use the presence of God when we need it. And we'll live and do whatever we want to do. And we're not going to be obedient to the man of God or the word of God. And we're not going to be obedient to God. And the Bible says that they lost the ark to the Philistines. They lost the battle and they lost their lives and one of their wives had a baby boy, and she named him Ichabod, which means for the glory of the Lord has departed. Didn't have to be that way, but it, it, it became that way when, when some people became irreverent to the things of God. I wonder how the history of Hophni and Phinehas would have been different had they been reverenced the things of God and kept God's commandments and lived a holy life dedicated and consecrated unto the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant might never have been taken. And it goes to the Philistines and it's there for about seven months. You know how the story, and they put in there and Dagon, and it falls over and it breaks to pieces and, and then God strikes them. Hemorrhoids. I think I'd rather be reverent. <laughs> and they go get an, a, a cart and they get the ark on that thing and they go, we're sending, we're sending this thing, the ark of the covenant, we're sending it back. Because bad things are happening, people are dying. What the Bible says. So the ark is sent back to Judah, back to Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 6, we read verse 19, and he smote 
the men of Beth Shemesh. Why? God's, here comes the ark. It comes back in the city. And guess what? There's some men that decide to look inside the ark. They are not reverent. They don't handle the presence of God correctly. They become irreverent. And if you don't think God takes reverence important, check this out. Because they had looked into the ark of the Lord, he smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men. Because some men decided to be irreverent with the presence. God helped this pastor to always be reverent. God, I'm not perfect, but I want to be reverent. God, I know I'm not perfect, but I want to be obedient as best I can to your word and to your will. It's really the same thing. Because 50,000. 70 men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And we know in this time that the ark, after being sent back from the Philistines, it, it, they were moving it around. And I know, say, well, it went to Abinadab's house. Yes, it did. But Saul reigned as king for 40 years, and the Philistines sent it back. And that's when, and, and that's when Saul became king. Saul reigns for 40 years, and David becomes king, and one of the first things David does is, let's go get the ark. I want the presence of God in the city of Jerusalem. The Bible says it had been in Abinadab's house for 20 years. So that means for 20 years, it had been, I don't want nothing to do with it. So, the Bible says that the men of Kirjath Jerim, who was in our text, 1 Samuel chapter 7, came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. Now, if you look at the time frame and the, the, the vicinity of how close this is to Bethlehem, how close this is to Jerusalem, 10 miles from Jerusalem, I don't know this to be the case, but the only other Abinadab or name Abinadab that I find at this time is David's older, older second oldest brother. I don't know that this is the same Abinadab. I, I, I wasn't there. But looking at the timeline, it could very well be that Abinadab was the Abinadab that was David's second oldest brother. That you read about in 1 Samuel 17 when, when, when Saul's there. And Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah are there with Saul fighting the Philistines. The ark comes and ends up in Abinadab's house. Maybe it's a different Abinadab, I don't know. But in our text you find that David was really upset because Uzzah was smitten by the Lord. Well, if, if there was a relative, that would make him his nephew. Very possibly. The Bible says that they bring the ark to Abinadab's house and sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjatharim that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Twenty years. Basically the last twenty years of Saul's kingship. And if that was the same Abinadab that was David's brother, we know that Abinadab died when Saul and Jonathan died in battle. 
So when they go to Abinadab's house, he's not there. He's gone. He died when Saul died. And Eliezer was the one that had been sanctified, the eldest son of Abinadab, who had been sanctified to keep the ark. But it doesn't mention the other two sons. They weren't sanctified. And yet you find the other two were the ones that were driving the ark, Uzzah and Ahio. And it was Uzzah that reached up and tried to study the ark. I hope this is making sense. I hope I'm not losing you in the history. But Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord, and it came to pass while the ark was there. They, it was there for 20 years before David comes. And it doesn't make any mention of Abinadab. Why? He, he's dead. He's gone. Eliar was had been sanctified, but he's not even there. He's not there, not by name anyway, mentioned by bringing, but the other two sons are there. The Bible says here in our text that as they're traveling from their home to Jerusalem to bring the ark that David has summoned to come to the city of David, to Jerusalem, that as it comes to the threshing floor of Chidon, it, it, it stumb, the, the oxen stumble and the ark shifts. And it was Uzzah that put his hand up to steady the ark. And the very meaning of the word Uzzah his name means to be strong. Uzzah thought he was strong enough to steady the things of God when he was not reverencing the things of God. If you're not, rever if you're not reverencing, you'll never be spiritually strong enough to carry what the torch that God has entrusted you to carry. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Somehow, Uzzah and Ahio had grown over 20 years too familiar with the presence of God. God, help us that have lived for God very long, that we don't become too familiar. We don't get too comfortable with the things of God and we don't get too comfortable and familiar with the things of God that we think our spiritual walk is strong enough that allows us to overreach our position and overreach what God is out of irreverence. And I mentioned this this last week. Two or three people Uzzah takes the fall God smote him because it was Uzzah that when the ark shifted and the ark that was not being carried and transported properly, there were supposed to be staves to the rings. It was supposed to be the ministry that had to take the burden of the presence of God upon their shoulders to transport the ark together in a spirit of unity, walking together, carrying together, sharing the, boat, the load together. But it was because of lazy, and, I, and I, I'll preach this about ministry. Y'all can just get to listen. I'm preaching this to Michael Mullings as a pastor, as someone in ministry right now, and I'm preaching to anybody involved in ministry. It was because the ministry became lazy and familiar and comfortable with the presence of God that Uzzah lost his life. I wonder how many people have lost their spiritual walk because ministry... 
I'd, I'd like to really preach this right now to a, min, a, a room of preachers, a room of pastors, a room of ministry. Not, not, not to give me the big head, but to humble all of us. God help the ministry of our church. That we carry things the right way. That we have a right spirit. That we have a right attitude. That we walk together. That we share the load together. That we pray one with another. That we're merciful one with another. That we're, care- that we're, not, as- we're not afraid to carry our load and do our share. Not a new program. Isn't going to substitute good old prayer and fasting. A new cart program isn't going to substitute for a good old Holy Ghost outpouring. I'm glad there's at least three of us who believe that. Ministry did not handle the presence of God correctly. I wonder if Uzzah could have had a different outcome. I know he had grown familiar. He was comfortable being around the presence of the Lord. The ark had been in his house for 20 years. But they didn't handle the ark correctly. Oh, I know some time had passed. It's been a while since it had been back. It had been at least 20 years. At least by this count, 20 years and seven months or closer to 21 years since the ark had been carried correctly. The reason it went out the first time, the reason they lost it the first time, 20 plus years before, was because of irreverence. And I find here God saying, if you're going to bring my presence back into your midst, you're going to have to do it my way. There's no substitute for a move of God. You got to pray fast. We got to beseech ourselves. We got to present ourselves living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. We got to do it God's way. Without holiness, no man can please the Lord. Well, I don't think it requires all that. I don't think you have to live that holy. Well, then you don't need to have that. I guess you don't feel like you want the presence. You don't need the presence of the Lord. I don't know that y'all, all you apostolics, all you have to live that way. Separation from the world. We don't think that's necessary. You probably don't because you don't have the presence of God either. You're right. It's not necessary to be absent of God's presence. But I'll, I'll take the presence. Thank you very much. I want the presence of God no matter the cost. Oh, praise God. Getting excited. I'm I'm, I'm preaching to ministry right now. I'm preaching to self. God, help me to present my body. Help me to bring my body under subjection. God, I want to be reverent. People say, well, God looks at the heart. He looks on the inside. Man looks on the outward. It doesn't matter what you do on the outward. The outward should represent what God is doing on the inward. People do things to their body that are irreverent. Bringing dishonor to themselves. Dishonoring the Lord in, in the process. 
I'm going to skip about 13 generations. But the Bible says, and I'm, I'll try to bring this to a close in just a minute, but the Bible comes to us in 2 Kings 21, tells us a story about the most evil, irreverent, disobedient king of Judah. A man by the name of Manasseh. The Bible says he was 12 years old when he began to reign in 2 Kings chapter 21. And he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. And Manasseh did that which was evil. Everybody say evil. In the sight of the Lord. I started the whole message with several scriptures talking about if we are not reverent, if we're not reverencing God and the things of God, that's to be evil. We have to, to reverence God. We have to depart from evil. But Manasseh didn't depart from it. He clung to it. And he did that, the Bible says in verse 2, that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. This is how bad Manasseh was. In verse number 6, the Bible says, And he made his son pass through the fire. It's talking about the fire of Molech. Molech was a, an idol. It was one of the gods of the Canaanites. Molech was like this. It was an idol. With hands and what does it mean to put your son through the fire? They would literally take their children and place their live children. I, I, that's what I'm glad the children aren't in here right now. But they would literally take their children and place them in the hands of this false god. And they would light a fire under the hands. I don't like this either, but it's in the book. This doesn't get your righteous indignation riled up. I don't know why will. And they lit the fire and they burned their children to a false god. You don't think that the enemy's after our children? You ever heard of a thing called Roe v. Wade? Come on. The enemy would like nothing more than to get our children. And offer up our children into the gods of this world. So that he can burn them up. In a fiery pit called hell. I'm preaching this in love right now. I know you may think that I'm kind of. But I hate the devil. When I think of trying to, someone trying to come and offer my little grandson or offer one of my babies, one of my girls, or, one, or even one of my young people from this church, or some of the kids, some of your kids and grandkids, they got another thing coming. I said, though, they got, the world's got another thing coming. That's how evil this king of Judah, Manasseh, but how did he get so evil? I'm going to tell you how he got. It started with someone that was a little irreverent. It started with a man named Solomon. That started having all these women. Not preaching against women. Not preaching against wives. You get one. That's all you can afford. 
But Solomon allowed his wives, his worldly wives and worldly concubines to bring their false gods and begin to worship even the God of Molech. He allowed them to bring those things into Jerusalem. And he allowed his carnality To get in the way of reverencing the word of God. And 13 generations later, you find the most evil king that ever comes. Doing the most abominable thing you can imagine. Offering one of his own sons to a false god. A god that's not even alive, it's just an idol. I said it, I think, a week ago, but the price of worshiping the gods of this world is to sacrifice one's children. It may not affect you, but it's going to affect the generation down the road. You know, I can handle it, but your kids won't be able to. God help us. I'm preaching. I'm reaching for my, our kids. I'm reaching for my kids, the kids of this church. We find... That at the age of 67, Manasseh's reigned 55 years, that he dies, and his son comes to power, Amon, or Amon. And verse 17 says, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and his sin, that he sinned, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers. Hear this. I don't know why some things are put in here, but it's just so easy to pass over them. But I had never seen this before. And it just jumped off the page when I read this. I said, God, help us to be reverent. Because if we become irreverent to the things of God, and disobedient to the things of God, we're going to be clinging and not departing to evil. And because of irreverence, to the things of God. The Bible says that when Manasseh died, the most evil, he was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. When Manasseh died, he was buried in the garden that was named after the one that was irreverent. The Bible says that in Amon, his son reigned in his stead. And Amon was, Amon was 20 and two years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jotbeth. And I don't have to get into all that. But, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And his father Manasseh did, as his father, he was as evil as his father was. And he walked in all the way of his, that his father walked in and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He was doing the same thing. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers and walked not in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and slew the king in his own house. And the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Amon. And the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his stead. He was just eight years old. 
Now the rest of the acts of Amon which he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Verse 26, And he, Amon, was buried in his sepulcher in the garden of Uzzah. The garden of irreverence. I don't want to be buried in a place that is known for someone that was irreverent to God. I want to be buried in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> I want to be in paradise. <laughs> Somebody shout amen. amen. And I'm, I'm closing. Let's stand. I know this is heavy. And I told you already, you're probably not shouting on this. But if we can get a hold of the concept of reverencing our Savior and the things of God and teaching our children to reverence the Lord. It will be reverencing God and keeping His commandments and obeying Him that will determine which garden they're going to end up in. says that Josiah when he had reigned for six or seven, eight years I believe he was 16 or 17, he had came to power as, as, as an eight year old the Bible says that he went and he destroyed the prophets of Molech and the Bible says that Josiah said we are going to keep the statutes, we're going to obey the Lord and Josiah pleased God as long as he obeyed Matter of fact, the prophet comes to Josiah and says, God is going to punish the sins of the people. The evil that the people did during the reign of Manasseh and Ammon. But God told Josiah, he said, but I'm not going to do it during your lifetime simply because you have I feel the Holy Ghost right now reverenced the Lord simply because you're keeping the commandments of God there's mercy God, I pray that we would, as a church family, hold to the Word of God. God, I pray that we would keep, that we would walk in the fear of the Lord. Not fear is afraid, but fear is reverence. God, I want to reverence you. I want to reverence the men of God in my life. God, I want to reverence my elders. I want to reverence the Word of God. I want to reverence our church family. I want to reverence God. I will reverence the house of God. And I will reverence and present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Why? Because I want to inherit 
the Garden of Eden, not the Garden of Irreverence, the Garden of Uzzah. I don't want to ever, ever overreach, God. I'm only as strong as is my relationship with you. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not holy enough. God, one thing I can do is I can present myself. One thing our church can do is to be holy. Holy. To reverence you.